Hello, I'm Steph from Hello Little Lady. I'm recording this intro in 2023. It's been five years since the Yorgis Little Exhibition was launched. To the week, I think, actually. We've been through a lot this past half a decade, haven't we, as a world? The world has been turned upside down with the pandemic and the cost of living crisis in the UK. The issues, prejudice and discrimination raised in the exhibition are still prevalent in the dwarfism community. Yes, there is much more visibility of dwarfism in the media. Ellie Simmons, in Strictly last year, was a highlight. And yes, it appears comedians are beginning to feel the impact of picking on our disability. Yet, we are still dealing with prejudice, ignorance and sometimes violence because of the way we were born. We are still having problems reaching things and we are still fighting for much needed support. Please, if you're a non-disabled person, listen and learn from these podcasts to be a better ally. If you're from the dwarfism community, I hope these podcasts and the exhibition go somewhere to help you feel heard and seen. We deserve to take space in arts and cultural settings and society. Without further ado, enjoy. You're just little, the exhibition podcast, episode four, narrative. Hello, and welcome to the fourth podcast in this series about the You're Just Little exhibition. I'm Steph, curator, creative activist, and the artist behind this work. The previous episodes have looked at accessibility, independence, and identity. In this episode, we talk about narrative and the need for dwarf people to be given the opportunity to have our voices and stories heard throughout art and culture, as well as being accepted and being made to feel safe in these art spaces. As part of the exhibition, I conducted research into dwarfism, arts and representation. A high percentage of respondents said they had experienced issues with venue accessibility, along with a lack of understanding of our disability from venue staff as well as having to contend with negative attention from the public, and as a result, experiencing social anxiety when visiting public art spaces. 86% of respondents did not feel like they were represented in the arts either, with 96% stating that there needs to be greater representation and understanding of our disability in the sector. Some of the responses in the research included Understandably, dwarfism is rare, you don't tend to see it represented positively in an art form. Or, as another respondent mentioned, I simply have never seen an art exhibit tailored for people with dwarfism. The results of the research also showed there is a desperate need for dwarf voices to be heard and represented in art settings, not just in terms of the space, but for us to have the opportunity to control the narrative of and show art of our lived experiences as dwarf people. In this sense, the exhibition was no longer about me just putting some pictures on a wall at my height to show my own challenges. It became a chance for the collective to share the space and platform. With the results from the research in mind, I saw the exhibition as a chance to make our voices and our experiences seen as a collective. Not only in terms of the physical sense, by lowering the photographs to my own eye level, but also what it actually looks like to move around society as a dwarf. The main aim for the participatory element, and I think it encapsulates the whole reasoning and essence of this exhibition, is that as dwarves, 
we get the space and the opportunity to control the narrative and hold the space on our own terms. And from this, it was a natural progression to share that space that was provided by the gallery with the rest of the dwarf community. I did this by putting a call out on my Hello Little Lady social media channels for people within the dwarf community to send in two to three photographs from their own perspective. The video was published across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and was viewed over 1,500 times, with around 50 photographs received. Participants included people with a range of dwarfisms from the UK, the USA and Australia. One of these participants was Dr Erin Pritchard, a lecturer in disability studies at Liverpool Hope University. In the following conversation, we talk about the photographs Erin sent through. Throughout the interview, we seemingly venture off topic quite a lot. Listening back to the audio, I listen to parts where I realise I could have asked further questions and myself wish I had gone a bit deeper and further into the topics we talk about. I think though this podcast is reflective of the vast array of issues that dwarf people, like myself and Erin, face daily. It tells of the recurring themes, not only within gaining acceptance of dwarfism as a disability in wider society, but also the political landscape with which the dwarfism community in the UK finds itself. It's letting off steam about the injustices first and the troubles trying to unite a community. Here's the interview. Hi Erin, um, thanks for joining us on the Your Just Little exhibition podcast. Um, if you'd just like to introduce yourself a little bit first and, and then we can chat about the wonderful photos that you, you sent over to be part of the exhibition. Hi Steph, uh, thanks for inviting me, this is really good. Um, I'm Dr Erin Pritchard, um, I have achondroplasia um, and so that's given me an interest to study dwarfism. Uh, I am a lecturer at Liverpool Hope University in the Department of Disability and Education where I teach disability studies. Um, my other area of expertise is in dwarfism, um, including access to the built environment and looking at social barriers, so in particular looking at cultural representations of people with dwarfism and what impact that has on our um, interactions in society. Okay, and you've also written for a number of publications as well. Would you like to tell us a bit about that as well? Yeah, um, I've written for a few academic and non-academic publications. The non-academic include the Times Higher, The Independent, uh, The Big Issue in the Northwest, um, and also The Mighty. And also The Mighty, yeah. Brilliant, that's fantastic. Um, so, I put a call out on Facebook, I think it was about the beginning of September in 2019, um, asking for people to send, people with dwarfism, to send photographs at our perspectives, our different perspectives. So why did you just contribute the photographs? Like what did, what did that mean to you to be able to also engage with the exhibition? Oh, there was numerous reasons. Um, in particular, it's raising awareness about dwarfism. And I like to contribute to any way that's going to raise positive awareness about dwarfism. Um, and I think this exhibition was really showing the access barriers we encounter and I thought that was really interesting um, because a lot of people say you're not disabled like you say you're just small and showing these images I think would get through to a few people to show this is what it's like from our height 
this, you know, imagine interacting with this facility, whatever photo people have said, and imagine interacting with that from our perspective. And I think that would get people thinking. So I thought it's a really good idea. And I thought just anything to raise awareness, I'd like to contribute to. Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, you said you were mentioning now about, you know, people engaging with the photographs and seeing what it's like in, in our engaging in the environment at our height. And I have to say that the people who did come to visit the exhibition, they were all like, oh, I didn't realise. That was like a reoccurring like yeah. sentence that was coming through when we when I was showing people around and showing say like the participant because I called it the participatory wall so mm-hmm. that was like yourself and other people who contribute contributed photographs but also like just from my own stuff as well and people were like I didn't realize and it was like you could just see like little light bulbs almost going on <laughs> you know what I mean and it was like it wasn't even just about um you know like you said like the access and the with the environment but it was also in terms of um looking at themes such as identity such as Mm -hmm. independence and things like that as well yeah Mm -hmm. so what i was going to ask is um for each of the previous episodes that we that have um that are available um we there is I've described what the actual photo is about. Now, you sent me over a good few photographs, which were, had a really good impact. Um, so I was wondering, I'm going to share the screen now. So for people listening, where we are in Zoom at the moment. So I'm going to share the screen, if I can find the toggles that I need to. And then what I would like to do, I was wondering if you would take me through, and the listeners through, um, some of the actual the two or three of the photographs that you shared and, and describe what it's like and also what it's like as a per, as a dwarf person experiencing the difficult those difficulties or issues okay so first one i'd like to look at is this one <laughs> okay so this is the one where you work at the university so yeah. would you please describe what people can see Okay, so in front of us, we have a standing lectern, which is used by all lecturers who are giving lectures in our main lecture theatre. Uh, as you can see in front, there's a large cupboard, and on top of it is a computer uh, keyboard and screen. Next to that is like a little sort of iPad, which we um, use, it's stuck on there, which we use to, you know, uh, control the screen behind us, the large screen that will be seen to the students. And on top of that is a microphone as well, because um, we have to use the microphone for students with uh, an LSP, such as they might have, uh, be deaf or have a hearing impairment. Um, and also it's just useful for the students. But as you can see, it's very high up. Um, my head or my eye level is with the drawers on the cupboard. So I always have to take a chair out to be able to use the standing lectern. So that's quite an effort. And I also have to hope that there's a chair there to use because the the lectern is not adjustable. So this lectern is obviously only for someone of average stature. So as a woman with dwarfism and a lecturer with dwarfism, it's really difficult to use this. Um, And for the whole hour, I will have to stand there and I can't stand for long periods of time. So it's quite difficult, I prefer to sit. So it's a really difficult um, piece of equipment to interact with when you are only four foot in height. Mm. So, 
I try and do that and I stand there, but I will, you know, and, I, and it's quite uncomfortable and you're scared to move in case you fall off it because the balance is not great. So it's a really disabling piece of furniture that not many people would think about. And, you know, as a lecturer, I thought it'd be something interesting to add because this is unique to my sort of work and there's nothing you can really do about it because I have to use the microphone. I have to use a computer to put my presentation up. Um, and behind it, which you, you won't be able to see, there is a chair for the average size lecturer to sit on. It's a high chair. And I'm thinking, you've got two ways of using this lecture, and even by standing or sitting. Mm. I can't even interact with it in, the, you know, in one way without being quite disabled by it. Mm. So it's, it's quite a disabling piece of furniture. And I thought, you know, people think, oh, lecturing, you know, you're a lecturer. They, they won't see the disabling aspects on what you have to overcome to be a lecturer to work in that environment. And I was going to say, I mean, you know, I mean, if somebody with dwarfism is considering certain careers and stuff, and I think probably across the spectrum of jobs and what have you as well, I mean, one of the first things is going to be, are we going to actually be able to interact with the environment are we actually going to be able to use the equipment and whatnot will it yeah. will we actually be able to access work not actually can we actually do the job <laughs> you know which yeah. is which was what your average height person non-disabled person doesn't even really think about you know they're concentrating on can I actually do this job and we're kind of coming at it from another step backwards in terms of like oh or some another consideration not necessarily a step backwards but we when we're at a totally different like level of like taking things into consideration to do a job yeah. you know um so is there any actual adjustments does, does the workplace offer any adjustments i mean that's not safe <laughs> no i mean i've got to be honest um where i work is brilliant for providing adjustments they um they've provided me with an, an accessible office and i know the um woman in hr um, she'd be really helpful. However, this is a sort of a communal lecture theatre, you know what I mean? Every, all the lecturers will be using this at some point. And I haven't really spoken about this standing lectern, so I'm not sure what can be done, but it's just when you think of past um, places that I've been and stuff. I mean, a previous university I worked at down south just provided no adjustments and said that they didn't have to provide reasonable adjustments, even though I said it flouted the Equality Act. And they were like, no, so I quit and came here. Um, but I, you know, I just think what they're going to do because I'm not a wheelchair user, so I'm not typical disabled. Like yeah, in but, this theatre, but, but I just I have put in there. I'm sorry, um, but we stand either at the same height of or mm -hmm. smaller than an average sized person in a wheelchair sat in a wheelchair. Yeah. You know, so but we're not recognised in the slightest no. of the 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 accessibility issues that we share a lot of yeah. with the wheelchair community. Yeah. It's because they're seen as disabled because every image that, you know, if you were to Google now um, disability access, you would find a load of wheelchair users, you know, at a set of steps or something. Um, you mm. wouldn't see some with dwarfism. Dwarfism is more for the circus, you know, or the pantomime it's not disability related so people don't see us as disabled because we can walk and if you can walk you're fine yes i Whereas, understand where you're coming with that and that's reflected also in uh disability 
support policy as well in the government yeah. governmental policy you know it's not actually saying i mean if you look at like the experiences that i've had um where where you say like with PIP, you know, it's literally how far you can walk. It's not actually what you need to be able to be independent. No, it's a very narrow-minded view of disability. And I think the, the social and cultural representations of dwarfism as well, um, mm. you, we've not really made that crossover yet into the dis, into this, into being recognised as an actual disability. I think the tide is changing somewhat, but I don't think it's recognized i think our no. community is beginning to get a voice but it's um, not necessarily being heard even within the community but it's like it's it's there it's starting i think it's been silenced by a lot in our community and by and some associations as it was pointed out by shakespeare in one of his papers um it's played down by the community the disabling aspects of dwarfism um, for one example and i won't mention the association's name they were showing how we do things differently, which is fine. But it's like, actually, that's because we're in a very disabling environment and we're overlooking why that's problematic and what they should be doing in the built environment to make places more accessible for us. Um, and if you challenge that, you, I mean, I've been shouted down for challenging for access, you know. Mm. Um, and we've even had some prominent people with dwarfism in the media saying, oh, we're not disabled. And so I think that sort of drags us back. We're just little, I've heard that one. Yeah. It's just like, we are, but... but. <laughs> it's very disabling in a built environment that is purposely made for someone of average stature. So it's the ergonomics, the anthropometrics. You make a place which is for the average-sized person so they can interact with it in a good way, in an easy way. So, of course, that's going to disable anyone who's very small or very tall. And I, and I don't just mean someone who's five foot or six foot. I mean those extremes, like mm. us, who you know anybody that's sort of four foot ten and below. Because mm -hmm. the average size wheelchair user is four foot six. We are the average size of a person with dwarfism is four foot. Yeah. So if they need stuff lowering, then it's obvious that we do as well. But, yeah, and I think what what upsets me somewhat is, I mean, we've covered quite a spectrum at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, but we seem to get clumped when people talk about adaptions and whatnot. Children seem to get brought in, you know, designing for children seems to yeah. be brought into it as well. And I'm like, well, actually, we're adults with yeah. adult needs who want to be able to access things. I mean, yeah. you know, on not okay, we might not necessarily be able to have the same level as you have a type or non disabled person, mm -hmm. however, you know just some adjustments would be helpful well, yeah. yeah so what i want to do is i want to move on now and we're going to talk about um the next photo so this one here i'm just going to click on it can you describe that for me please ellen yeah so this is two coffee urns um on top of a high table uh, next to it, it's like a jug of milk and at the far end of the table there's some stirrers and stuff so this I come across this a lot when I'm at conferences and, and stuff, which um, I need always need help with because even at disability conferences, they miss out on these slight things. They'll always put something up high. Mm. Um, so these coffee urns are clearly out of my reach. And usually I'll have someone who will, you know, say, right, what do you want, Erin? And they'll, they'll get me a coffee or something, which is great. But there's two parts of this image. One is how high up they are, but also how, how far back they are. People seem to think that if they put something low, lowish down, that we're fine. But we also have a very short arm length. Well, if you have 
disproportionate dwarfism mm. so you can't reach far back mm-hmm. so even just to make something as mundane as a cup of tea or a cup of coffee it's actually quite disabling and it's uh, quite dangerous as well because i mean I've, yeah. i get this myself it's like you know i mean i'm proportionate dwarfism mm-hmm. but for me it's like I would get the splashback. So I've got that yes. potential, and you probably have as well, of being burnt. You know? I have actually mm. been burnt um, badly. Mm. Uh, nice. I, I had a high table like this, and I, I mm. made a cup of tea, and I knocked the spoon because it was so high up, and I knocked a cup of boiling water on my chest. <gasps> oh, God. And for weeks, months after, I had, this, I had to keep getting this dressing changed. Um, and you can say, well, it's your stupidity, but at the same time, no, this is because something is too high and this is what we have to interact with. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. And it's something that your average non-disabled, habitite non-disabled person takes mm-hmm. as a given. Yeah. Take as a given to be able to to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, yeah. to have refreshment. Exactly. You know, you know, I mean, and it's another step, mm-hmm. another step that we have to think about. Are we going to be able to have a drink or <laughs> eat? <laughs> Yeah. When, when we go out, do you know what I mean? Well, that, well, that's the thing. Um, I've got very good colleagues here, and there's one in particular. We, you know, we sort of um, stick together when we go to a conference or something at, at this place. And she'll go, oh, Erin, do you want a tea or a coffee? And she'll grab us one. But what we noticed a few weeks ago was a very high table with, um, like, you know, biscuits to go with your tea. And so one of my colleagues just grabs a tray of them and puts them on a low table and said, right, you know, she pushes in front of everyone just so that I could have them because mm. as a disability department, we're sort of more attuned to that. Yes. Mm. You know, so they were really helpful, but yeah, it's, it's like you say, it's something as basic as a cup of tea that we can't have access to. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the next photograph now. So um, can you describe the third photograph for me? Yes. It's a white wall with very high up is some, um, switches uh they're light switches and they're very different light switches because again they're in the lecture theater and we have to adjust these for students who might have visual impairment um so they're very basic and fundamental to le- when you're in the lecture theater you have to make sure the lighting is proper so people can see your presentation and just above it just out of the picture is um, a sign saying to turn the lights on and off when you leave and enter the room and it's like well okay i'll do that when you put them at my height yeah. and these are way and they were actually used not these ones but where I worked previously as an example of disability because I had a group of geography students and I said is body size a disability and they said no and I said well why did I just have to ask you to turn that light on when you come in and it sort of got them thinking so it's just that basic function that you can't do because it's so high up and, and as you probably point out an average sized person won't think twice about reaching those lights yep exactly mm-hmm. and you know like like you say that you said about body size not being what was it can you just say that again please body size that body size that exceed the norm are not recognized as disabled in society yes that's very true you know and i think that's probably one of the biggest um ignorances yeah that we have to try and overcome yeah don't we so you know and that's personally how frustrating do you find this day to day 
uh, the the attitudes is very frustrating because it holds you back from being able to get proper access put in place or anything because people that you're not disabled well i'd like you to spend a week like this and then tell me that i'm not disabled because when you can't do something as you know daily as mundane as put on a light switch when you have to rely on your students to do that for you or wherever you might be whoever you're with to do something like that make you a cup of tea put on a light that's actually very disabling but a lot of these disabling aspects can be sorted out if people recognize that we're disabled and just thought well the next time we plan a building let's just put something a bit lower let's make it adjustable mm -hmm. and say now you've got a, a public toilets public restrooms and you've got several sinks why can't you just put one of them lower who's yeah. it going to hurt if you put one lower i've noticed in the the uae where the you know my friend lives they do it there mm. so what is wrong with just putting one thing low it's because oh yeah well we've got an accessible toilet for wheelchair users so you don't need one do you <laughs> yeah that's, that's like the biggest thing isn't it because you know <laughs> everything's lowered down apart from the one thing that you actually really need to use <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you know what i mean so you you make that kind of decision every day mm. you know again something that you're average non-disabled person takes as a given right um yeah. to you know do you try and hop onto the disabled toilet or do you try and see if you can actually reach the handles to actually get yeah. into the toilet space in the first place exactly and there's also that thing in when you do choose to use the accessible toilet who's going to tell you off for using it this time you know you get dirty looks for going to use a low counter you get dirty looks and mm. get told off i've been tutted by old people and you know told off for using uh, um things like that i mean I, I when i did my phd i found quite a few of my participants who are all had dwarfism had been told off by wheelchair users for using the accessible toilet i've been told by members of staff that they couldn't use the low counter or access the disabled section of an arena to see over the crowd in a mm. gig or something because mm -hmm. they're not wheelchair users and it's like but this yeah. is actually really disabling mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um so i know it is isn't it because and then like the, the most I mean, proper getting into i think i'm getting into rant mode here but <laughs> it's like and then you get people who know you as a person and go and then they, that's dismissed as well do you know what yeah. i mean like they don't oh we just see Ever we just see you as Steph, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like I always think that is really silencing. Yes, like it's, it si is. it's a very silencing, and it's almost. And then you kind of like, well, hang on a second, you're telling me I'm not disabled, yet when I move around my environment, when I look, when I engage with arts and culture, or when I go out somewhere, or if I try to do something, or if I'm out on the street and people are laughing at us or staring at us it's like two different like which where did your head go really you don't know what i mean yeah i think it's because of their perception of disability a lot of people because i've certainly had it with some some of my friends where they'll go you're not disabled don't be so hard on yourself and it's like well you're automatically you know they they see disability as a stigma as something bad i mm. don't yes. i just see it that I am disabled by society, whether that's by being stared at, photographed whenever I go out, laughed at, or by interacting with the built environment, that's clearly I am unable or disabled from mm. reaching some 
from seeing over the standing lectern, that is disabling. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't disabling, then okay, let's make everything, whatever height we want to make it, let's make everything way above your average stature person and see if they're okay with that after mm -hmm. a week. Mm, I think things have changed pretty sharply. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, so we're going to move on to the final photograph now. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, hang on, was a, I've got two more actually. So um, there's I actually included quite a few of yours <laughs> on the participatory wall for people who are listening. Um, you can actually go to the website hellolittlelady.com and you'll be able to find Ellen's photos. Um, on the episode uh, page on the website. So we're just going to move on to the next one now. So this one, um, if you'd like to uh, just take over there, for you, Evan. Yeah, so this is the kitchenette in work. Um, so basically I'm looking at a worktop at my eye level, the worktop's at my eye level. Mm. On it is a sink with some cutlery and a drainer. And above it, a boiler, a hot water dispenser. So it automatically dispenses boiling water that's how I what I have to use to make a cup of tea and I do have a stool but again as you say when I pull the lever um hot water just spits everywhere or boiling water spits everywhere so you've yeah. got to watch out um but also it's that reach so I'm really I I can just about reach the red tap or lever to get some hot water um unfortunately a few months ago the stool that i leave in the kitchenette that the university gave me was taken by someone and so until that got replaced for about a week or so one of my colleagues just kept knocking at my door very kindly saying would you like a cup of tea and she was she was honestly like mrs doyle from bow ted um but she was really helpful but again i had to rely on her i couldn't just go to the kitchenette and make myself a cup of tea or coffee mm. um so that was very dependent, but it's very high up if, you know, I would, mm. I think it'd be really interesting for an average sized person to think how bizarre that would be if they were at this height or if the council or whoever had installed something at that height for them to make a cup of tea. They'd, you know, they'd be anarchy, wouldn't they? They'd be, oh, <laughs> this, is mm. this is against our human rights, but mm. it's okay to put it that high if you're, you know, if it just disables the dwarf. Well, oh, I think... You know, there's like it's about, about reasonable adjustments, mm. and you know what would it have taken? I mean, how old is, is that building? You know, how what would that have had that been installed? I don't know before the Equality Act, the Disability Discrimination Act. You know, so the kind of building people like organisations are having to work around mm -hmm. the building shape and anatomy anyway. What, what would it actually take to be able to do reasonable adjustments? Now, they've given you a stool, but yeah. really, I would question the safety of that as well. It's not that safe, but it's better mm. than nothing. Um, mm. You know, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't want to be harsh on the university because I think if I actually went and spoke to them, they might see if there's an alternative. And we are moving offices soon. And my boss, she's been really good in saying, right, Erin, what are we going to have to do to make wherever we move to next more accessible for you? Mm. Um, and this is why I love working where I work, because they seem to be one of the very few organisations that do take my needs into account. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've got yeah. parking and stuff, so, you know, I've got everything I need. And it's just, well, 
I don't know how this would have been amended. So I just said, oh, I'll just have a footstool. Because I think as a disabled person, you always feel like you don't want to ask for too much. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's how I've always felt. Um, so I just said, oh, just, I'll just have a stool and that's fine. Because when the stool went missing, it was my boss who sort of flipped and sent this letter. I mean, a few, about a month ago, they put a new keypad on the door to get into the printer office where you needed a code to get in. Mm. And it was it wasn't me I didn't notice it but my boss came flipping and she was like Erin have you seen what they've done here have you seen and I was like what are you on about <laughs> and she showed that they put this keypad up really high and she goes nobody's t- spoken to us about this and so you know she goes back and she writes his email to whoever's concerning saying this needs to be lowered and yeah eventually they lowered it but for that few weeks I was having to rely on anybody else if I needed to go to the print room for paper because I do have a printer in my office. That was a reasonable adjustment and I appreciate that. But it's these things that people don't think about and they just put it there without thinking because it's an average sized person and as long as they can reach it, it's okay. Mm. They've not really experienced inaccessibility really, have they? You know, And I think, I don't even think it's like, it's not even, it's not, I don't think it's always, it's not deliberate, do you know what I mean? It's because they've not actually experienced being disabled by an environment before. Yeah, there's no thought. It's a habit, I suppose. And also, they only have to do reasonable adjustments. As long as somewhere has a ramp and an accessible toilet, they think a place is fully accessible. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) We're no different, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to move on to the final photograph now. And this one really, really resonated with me. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, just this morning, I've been to a garage and... The desk was incredibly high as well, and it was just like any. And they did say something, and I was like, "Well, it's not very accessible." But then they were just no. like, "Yeah, but our computer was still having to bend down, even though we put it high." And I'm like, "Whatever," <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. anyway, the final photograph, if you would please. Okay, so this is um, a counter, as you'd see in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what this counter's for because I've never seen over it, and I've never had to. Um, it looks like but, a reception area. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's to do with um, the media centre where I work. So there's a very high counter. Um, the top part of the counter will probably come to the top part of my head. So mm-hmm. there's no way that I can see over it. And the actual counter is opaque. So you can't see through it. So I would not be able to interact who, with whoever is on the other side of that counter. Mm-hmm. And anybody behind me would be able to get served before me. Yes. And would actually get attention and get noticed because well I can't I don't belong in this society sort of thing mm. so yeah I think what it is as well like from a from a like that is the wider context of it mm-hmm. but the actual as a person interacting the actual anxiety of coming up to a desk like this yeah. you're like you're having to look behind you you're mm-hmm. having to try and make yourself a little bit taller to see if people yeah. behind you will actually see you know, I mean, and for me, it's almost like I have to prove that I'm not a child and I'm not with that yeah. person behind me or in front of me because yes. that happens quite a lot. Yes. Um, and it's just so incredibly frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, because you just don't feel you belong. Um, and, you know, you you think how difficult would it be to have just a small part, that the lower section of that desk or counter? Mm. Now, in some cases they do, and I will purposely go and use that part 
um and i you know and they, some people you know feel reluctant to move and it's like well no this is because i can't see over it i'm not being awkward i need you to see me you know um and it's really difficult because if there's a cure or anything you automatically have to go to that part but they don't necessarily see you or they ignore you or they think you're pushing in and it's like no this is because this is the only part i can see over and this is the only way i can get your attention mm. um so you're just thinking and, and like you pointed out Whenever you go out, especially if you go somewhere new, I like to go with someone, um, not just because of the physical barriers, because of the social barriers, but you, you go somewhere and you've got to like anticipate, is the counter going to be low? Is this going to be in reach? Is this going to be, what's going to be disabling? You know, I mean... What, am I going to be able to sit down? Am I going to be able to get something to eat? Am I going to be able to keep warm? Exactly. Am I, you know, what type of crowd is it? Exactly. Mm. So it's really you have all this anticipation before you've even stepped foot out the door because you're just like everything is going to be disabling but you can't know you don't know what and you don't know how that's going to pan out you don't know if it's going to create more social barriers because you're having to shout um to get recognized to do anything and it's just because something is too high yeah yeah and i know like people have because i remember once um, a woman with dwarfism she wanted uh post offices to lower things to lower the counters and there was a big kerfuffle and all this and somebody said she should carry a stool around with her that was killing us the bell wasn't it yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and i'm thinking because they'd embarrassed her by trying to make her stand on a cardboard box or something yeah. and as a woman with dwarfism you're already going to get unwanted attention then to have to stand on that where everybody's looking at you mm. because you're doing something differently is even worse when actually, what would it have taken for you just to put a lower counter in? It's a reasonable adjustment under the Equality Act. And before anybody moans that, oh, you know, d- disabled people, they cost money. I'm a taxpayer. I pay a lot of tax. Mm-hmm. I'm paying taxes for public buildings that are inaccessible to me. I'm paying taxes to subsidise rail companies that are inaccessible to me. So actually just asking for some things to be lowered that isn't going to impact on the average sized person. They'll still have their own way. They'll still be able to interact. Is not a lot to ask for. No. So, well, I mean, it is incredibly frustrating. And how would you like to see things or how to see dwarfism acknowledged? I think we've got to start firstly where it needs to be more in the planning legislation. Um, so you have part time of the Buildings and Regulations Act, which deals with disability adjustments. But this act has been highly criticised because it's very um, biased towards wheelchair users. Everything that needs to be lowered is for a wheelchair user. We are mentioned twice in it. One for lower parking metres, because obviously we can't, you know, the mm. government likes money and one for um, two rails on staircases. But again, they say that is also for children. So, you know, it's quite infantilizing. And staircases, I'm not usually good at anyway because of mobility problems. So I'm not mm. gonna say it's a bad thing, but we need lower facilities like a wheelchair user does, but we need mm. them to be recognized that they need sometimes to be slightly lower. It's still not gonna disable someone who's tall or wheelchair user. Um, so that we are more included in disability adjustments, that we don't see disability as this homogenous group, that you are only disabled if you use a wheelchair, but rather that disabled people can be people with dwarfism, visually impaired, all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. And that actually by using something like universal design, which is a 
quite a popular design concept, you can make things more accessible if the height's adjustable or if they can't be adjusted in height, that there's, you know, multiple facilities, one low, one high, um, one average, you know, it's not going to disable you. It's not going to impact upon the average size person. It's, we're not encroaching into their world. We're just trying to make society a little bit more accessible. Yes. Mm-hmm. If only, eh? <laughs> so, so um, what I would like to talk about now is the actual exhibition and mm-hmm. dwarfism, art representation, and actually dwarf people being able to engage with the arts as well. So in terms of the, the actual exhibition, how did it fit, and I probably asked you this earlier, but how did it actually feel to actually see your perspective on a gallery wall? It was brilliant. I thought, you know, I thought at last someone's doing this kind of activism, and the arts are quite important, um, you know, disability arts and everything, that, that to, to just educate the general public. So mm. I know this was up in the northeast, so if just a few people up in the Newcastle area or wherever it was can go, that's disabling. I think it has more of an impact because you're doing it in quite a subtle way. You're not lecturing people like I probably do. You are just demonstrating, look, this is what it's like for us. Mm. put yourself in our shoes sort of thing so I think it was really it was really good and I think that's a great way of getting your voice heard through these different visual representations where in whatever form of art because you know lots of people do visit art galleries and stuff don't they Mm. so it's really interesting to see it from our perspective for once because when people usually talk about disabled artists or something everything's Van Gogh and that's it but actually this is what it's like. I mean, I've been around art galleries and I, I, I hate them, to be honest, and I love art, but mm-hmm. I hate them for two reasons. One, I've got to crank my neck up to look at anything. Yep. And two, I'm sometimes more of an exhibition than the actual paintings. Yes. But, you know, I've had, I, was in, I was in a gallery a few years ago at the Van Gogh Museum and this woman, she must have been a, what, about 16, 17, so a teenager, she actually turned her mother around so she could have a look at me. And I just sort of walked out. I just thought, I'm not here. I'm not, you know, I've come here to look at the sunflowers. That's what you should be doing. So, you know, to try and get some education through in the gallery, I think was was really good because it sort of gets people thinking there. But from your own perspective, I think, like, did it feel like, I'll put it into context. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, it felt really powerful yeah. personally because... I actually, I've never seen my perspective on the wall before. I have never seen other people in a similar situation or have that same perspective or similar in a, on a gallery wall. How do, yeah. you think, do you think it, I mean, I think it does, <laughs> but how does, you know, do you feel like that it actually gives people a dwarfism a voice. Yes, I think it was actually quite a powerful exhibition and it was good for giving that voice to some people with dwarfism. So Mm. like for me, I'm quite, I wouldn't say shy, but you know, you don't want to be out in public. So to have those photos to represent your perspective instead Mm. on a wall without you having to physically be there. I know you were, but I wasn't sort of thing. It's really good to get people thinking, 
and I think it was wrong, it gave different people with dwarfism a voice because usually the only uh, dwarfs with a voice mm. are those in the media. And they usually, not all the time, but some quite times quite derogatory, whether it's, you know, um, like people hiring themselves out or whatever. Those are the ones that are given a voice. So for us to be given a voice and show this mm. is life or part of our life, I think was quite powerful. Mm-hmm. And how would you like to see, or what more would you like to see of us art activism, dwarf art activism? art activism I'll try and I'll say that again dwarf art ex- activism I can't even say <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, what sort of activism or arts activism do you think you know would you like to see more of would you like to see more participatory stuff would you like to see more um art type stuff or you know what what vision or what would you think would have the most impact that would enable people not only to, to raise awareness to, for like advertising on disabled people but also within the dwarf community ourselves i think it'd be great to have more activism maybe like this one focused on focused on um on access it'd mm. be good to focus and challenge media representations of dwarves mm. some of the social stuff maybe you could have um you know video montages or something i know there's a guy on facebook he um, recorded himself walking through New York and the abuse he yes. got mm-hmm. and I thought that was fabulous because it was people taking photos of him and, and people usually deny this don't they, they, they mm. go oh no I, I, I didn't officer, I didn't call her a midget or I didn't take a photo of her, I'm really good and they can't prove anything so you've just got to you know because people don't believe it when you say that you actually get photographed in public mm. but to call Captain Red Handed I think was really good and more things like that and in the arts in general, um, if you want to branch out from just art to sort of the media, why can't we just have more people with dwarfism in the media where their, their dwarfism isn't a focus? Like Peter Dinklage, that kind of person, Mary DeVete and Kieran Smell, instead of always having to be a panto dwarf, hmm. always having to be an elf. I mean, um, somebody was telling me it was St. Patrick's Day the other week, and in my local high street, um, I'm glad I wasn't out, that there was a guy, a dwarf, again, dressed up as a leprechaun. And people think, oh, yeah, but he's just having a laugh. And it's like, yeah, but the next time I'm walking down the street, I'm going to be called a leprechaun. I'm going to be asked to grant three wishes. Hmm. You know, so we need more things that are challenging the derogatory stereotypes of dwarfism so that people just see us as other people, but also to include us more in the disabled, disabled community, so the disability arts Mm. so that there's more uh, branching out and it's less homogenized as you know the, the wheelchair user or, or the person with down syndrome which i'm not saying is a bad thing to get them recognized but let's be included do you think that, like, that, that, that those particular communities are f- further ahead in terms of recognition than what people yeah. have done the dwarf community is at this particular point in time and which i think needs urgently to be addressed not mm-hmm. just within the dwarf community itself, but also with within the arts community and within the disabled arts community as well. I think, um, I think it's just like that's that recognition because at the moment there, I just, I just feel like there is not an awful lot of recognition for the, for the challenges, for the prejudice, mm-hmm. you know, that people like ourselves face on a daily basis. No, and I think you know it's about time that people with dwarfism actually did something about it because i think there's some people with dwarfism and i'm you know i'm not being funny they they expect 
other people to be doing this for them they mm. like for example okay I'm not an artist but you are and you've come and said oh I want to do this exhibition and so that's why I wanted to participate because I thought well someone's trying to do something positive so mm. you do that and then um like when I did my PhD I had people willing to participate and you're thinking yeah because they're fed up and yeah. they were really helpful and um, you know um and, and there are people in our community that are trying to raise awareness, but quite often we get shouted down um, mm. because people are like, I'm not disabled. Mm. What you're doing is wrong. Do you think, Claude, there's an element, I mean, if you think about how we react to everyday things and so especially the negative attention, so you might not necessarily, you're more aware that you've gone places or you might not as be willing to go to certain places because mm -hmm. you just know... So do I actually think, do we, as a community, and then this is a, quite a, this is a question that goes on my head quite a lot, is do we actually hide in plain sight? Do you yeah. mean, do we actually, you know, we try not to, we try to blend in because we don't blend in. Yeah. We don't, because we don't, because we stand out so much, you know, as visibly different, you know, do we do our best to in a coping mechanism coping mechanism i guess to try and be invisible yeah you know, I don't and, think and, but at the same time we've not had i don't think we've had the actual support to be able to actually vocalize no. or actually been given the skills or the confidence and the trust which i yeah. think the trust that we're not going to be taken advantage of mm. by external project people um, yeah, I, there's two parts there that I think is really important. There's this issue you raise about wanting to hide away. And yeah, I do that. I, I don't, sometimes I just don't want to leave the house because I don't mm. want to be called a midget today. Mm. I know every outing is going to be staring and laughing yeah. and pointing. And, and, and for a long time, and it's only now, sometimes I just don't want to be out. And that's why I love driving because in my car, it's one time I can be out in public where I don't get abuse. Mm -hmm. And you know so you don't want to go out but yeah I'm still vocal in trying to change perceptions mm. um, so I think you can be but I do think there's this knock-on confidence as you say mm -hmm. that people's confidence are knocked out can you hear that in the background? Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry um, because you know uh, a second. you know but there's other people that I think have been knocked out um, I forgot what I was gonna say now like yeah because you'll have people like so-called professionals telling you, you know, like social workers, you're not disabled, you know, images all around you tell you you're not disabled because you're not included in those images. Mm -hmm. You're not a disabled person. Mm -hmm. And there was something I was going to say and I forgot. Sorry. Okay. Give you a minute. <laughs> I can't remember. So it's like the confidence and, the almost agoraphobia, agoraphobia yeah. really, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's like I say, it's about hiding in plain sight, really. Mm. You know. That's the other thing. I mean, I've had, you know, people who, um, dwarf entertainers, people who will happily hire themselves out, say, oh, I'm not disabled. And then they say, I can do everything an average sized person can do. And yet then they complain and that they're not getting a disability benefit or something. Mm. And I'm like, but you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't turn around and say, I'm not disabled. And then 
it's society's definition or even say government use of what classification of what is defined as disabled it's very health and medical related at this point in time so and I think you know there's also that element of it's a person's own personal journey as well to acceptance and there's a spectrum of that as well isn't there some of some some of us are like out and yeah we're totally like yeah we're disabled Mm -hmm. and then there's others who maybe are for one reason or another have not got to that stage yet so how how do we bridge all of that to be a collective voice I think it's education because I think you're absolutely right I mean a few years ago I would have said I'm not disabled Mm. because Mm. my perception of disability was I had to be in a wheelchair or something Um, and then it was only when I learned about the social model of disability as a master's student that I went oh my god I am disabled and you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with that it's not a stigma it's not this stigma that everybody's talking about it's Mm. actually something quite positive Mm. and realistic um so I think what we need to do as a community is try and join forces with other disabled organizations actually proactive ones I don't mean like necessarily um you know uh problematic charities disabled people but really good ones like you know disabled people against cuts and all that and make connections with them and the associations need to be learning from them and stuff as well I mean I know one association is very proactive in challenging uh, media representations and they're good at that but they can also be quite um problematic in that they're not you know the whole community is not accepted there's lots of problems there's a lot of politics isn't there yeah the community itself I mean discussed this online ourselves over the last year or so haven't we Um, Mm -hmm. you know and I think but it's the because in the UK it's so divided isn't it at the moment I think you know and I just think you know do we need to put our differences aside whether you're in the entertainment or not for Mm -hmm. entertainment and go like "These, these are the things because as I was speaking to another person last year, you know, the one thing that we all have in common as people with autism is how people react to our bodies, you know, yeah. and is that not collectively what we could actually be campaigning on, or not necessarily demanding, but campaigning mm-hmm. on, raising awareness on, even if you don't agree and say, look, this is a set, set of objectives that we want to achieve to gain acceptance you know accessibility yeah. independence support mm-hmm. but i think you yeah that's definitely true but then you sometimes get a very strong voice who shouts you down in a very problematic way like i remember once because i was against wolf entertainment that one turned around and said well i'm not a loser like you on benefits and i'm like but you don't have to be um on benefits i'm not on benefits i'm i'm working but as a is, university lecturer but, but what is wrong with being on exactly there's nothing wrong the benefits can actually something like pip where you can Mm. access mobility actually enables you to access work and what have you that you wouldn't necessarily had because you might not have say family or whatever behind you Mm -hmm. to actually be able to get out to work in the first place but being on that benefit enables you to get out yeah to work and pay taxes and Mm. and stuff but you know so i think yeah we need to sort of try and find a common ground for everyone with dwarfism and I think it has to 
happen from the people with dwarfism because sometimes as people have pointed out in the association they are dominated by the average size person who and that, that links for me to ableism because it always seems like and it's not just in the associations but I've had from social workers which is why I got rid of mine when I was 19 um, from so many people who are average stature and yet are telling you what it's like to live with dwarfism and I'm like, <laughs> I don't have got an idea mm-hmm. you know um, mm-hmm. so we need to get together as a group of people with dwarfism and yeah you know what we might disagree on say, say now I'm talking to someone who's in the entertainment industry we might disagree on the entertainment aspect but then we could agree on like something like when it comes to access for example and so why isn't it that um, some kids yeah let's put our differences aside and work towards that and the things that we do disagree on we can still talk about them but talk about them like adults and I can understand that sometimes things get heated because you're so passionate about them from whichever Mm. side you come from because that's important to you and because we don't have a voice outside of this community they do get heated Mm. you know things get heated don't they and so unless you agree with someone on most things you don't really get anywhere so I just think that, yeah, we need to find that sort of common ground on how we can change things. And if you don't agree with it, fine. But why? And let's talk about that as an adult, not as someone who's just going to call someone a loser or anything like that, but somewhere that you can talk more positively about it. But I think it needs to be influenced by what we know with disability arts, with disability theories and stuff like this, you know, just having an idea of the social model mm. changes your idea about access, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Wow, we have spoken for nearly an hour. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so I just want to say, I think when we've covered a lot of ground here, and I think we probably could make a series <laughs> of podcasts actually just talking about the various aspects and difficulties that we come across as dwarf people. Um, but I just want to say thank you for your contribution um, to the exhibition. Thank you for coming and talking with us today. And just um, and let's hopefully we can make some good, great changes. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> okay, doc. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening in to that conversation with Erin I hope you enjoyed it I want to thank Erin for such a quite an in-depth conversation um, and chat about her photos and the wider issues within the dwarf community and the UK Um, I think we covered a lot of ground and I think it highlights the vast array of issues and I think challenges that the community faces um, and hopefully more questions to be answered about how we can do that. So um, you can actually see Erin's photographs over at hellolittlelady.com and if you have any questions or you would like to comment on what we talked about please do email them over to me at steph, that's S-T-E-P-H, at hellolittlelady.com or join in the conversation through social media using the hashtag you're just little. That's Y-O-U-R-E, just little. Thanks a lot and bye for now.